Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. It's time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Nubo and Dave Tree. You're listening to episode 15 of Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me this evening is, well, Dave, tradition, I'm not going to change it now. Do your own introduction, please. Forget that, Mark. What's happened over the last... This was like a like fortnightly episode... Mm-hmm. Episode podcast? What am I talking yeah. about? Well, this was a fortnightly... What, what's happened? What's I happened? don't know. Like, I don't know. I've, I've been sat here for the last month waiting <laughs> for your call. Yes, and like nothing. You know what's happened? I'll tell you exactly what's happened. Drones. I had drones over my house and I wasn't able to call you. That's what it was. Drones over the house. So don't blame me. Blame the drones. It was the drones' fault. Drones. You've not been able to call me because of drones. Well, thanks. It's drones. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that, Dave. Let's, let's just remember we do live in a world where a song about sausage rolls has become the Christmas number one ahead of Ariana Grande. So nothing's, nothing's off the table, is it really? Let's be honest. Well, I like sausage rolls. So do I. We've got a really busy episode this time time that we finally managed to get back together talks from palatoid in colville we've got the imperial <laughs> troops talk at mcm birmingham we've got stuff from echo base we've got talk with the novello orchestra out on tour with the uh, star wars a new hope in concert and there's a little bit of me and you in there so i think what we should do dave i think we should go straight into the first talk you know all about this guy this is jeff Maisie, ex palatoid employee before we listen to the audio that richard hutchinson kindly recorded for us give people a little bit of info a little bit about who jeff was what he did and why this whole palatoid talk was so important so Jeff was one of the senior marketing people at Palatoy. Jeff made up a team that worked across like multiple brands. He was one of the main guys that has quite often been associated with the Star Wars releases. The bit of audio that we're about to listen to was to do with uh, a nice little evening tie-in of uh, ex-Palatoy employees, which included um, Jeff from like the, the marketing side of things, but also a couple of the guys from the design team, which included both uh, design and engineering and also uh, graphic design as well, of which they took on other roles like advertising and marketing, uh, you know, crossover as well, as well as like um, uh, one of the tooling managers as well. That relates to the actual manufacture of the toys themselves. So a lot of these guys would have worked hand in hand with one another. It was to tie in with the Behind the Toys exhibition, which is run by Matt Fox, which has been touring the country. And that was like brought to Colville, which is the, the home of Palatoy there. So it was a, all things coalating and like merging together for one amazing evening. I would have loved to have been there. I really genuinely so love to have been able to make that. But uh, it, it just wasn't meant to be. This is a nice opportunity to hear some of the stories and some of the experiences from way back when. But what we've got here is a nice little clip with some extras on Fanta TV. Is that right? That's right. So uh, it's also on Fanta TV. As you say, Richard recorded it for us and for Vintage Rebellion. So you can find it in either, 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 whichever one you find it first. Here's uh, a little bit of audio from the Palatal Talk with Jeff Maisie. But please give a massive round of applause for the amazing Jeff Maisie. Right, 
following, uh, following my recent demotion from marketing manager to product manager, um, <laughs> what I wanted to do was take you through a few things about Star Wars, not technically, but stuff that you might not know. Uh, for example, how did I get roped into this? <laughs> um, there are three real themes. First is, how did Palatoy get Star Wars in the first place? How did we launch it? And how do we keep it going? So the first part of it, how did Palatoy, from a place that most Americans have never heard of, get hold of Star Wars? Why didn't he go to Hasbro or Mattel, who were both $5 billion companies now, and much bigger than we were at that time? Uh, Hasbro, at that time, was in trouble. What had happened was they had overreached themselves. They had product which had been called back from consumers and from retail. But more important than that, they had to delist their prime category of G.I. Joe because of anti-feeling because from the Vietnam War. That was 40% of their turnover and 60% of their earnings. So they had a massive hole to fill, but the banks had put a stop on them, wouldn't lend them any more money, and they couldn't go after Star Wars. Mattel, on the other hand, had Barbie. That was a world-renowned brand already. It was in massive distribution worldwide, and they had no boys' toy. So why didn't they go for it? Well, at that time, fortunately for us, they were in the middle of an acquisition for a company called Golden Books, Western Publishing, which was $120 million then, about a billion dollars now. So they couldn't afford to do both. And they didn't want to put the investment into Star Wars because they knew what sort of uh, cost that would make. So Lucasfilm turned their attention elsewhere. They didn't come to us. They went to a company called Mego, which was a little US company, but they had one thing that Lucas liked. They had a product line tied to a film. They had Planet of the Apes. It had action figures, play sets, and Lucas thought, that's exactly what we want. They're the company I want to go with. But Mego said, thanks, but no thanks. We work with 20th Century Fox. We don't want to know. That left Kenner. To understand the dynamics of this, <clears throat> General Mills at that time was a $2 billion basically flour milling company and a cereal, breakfast cereal manufacturer. They were cash rich, they were looking to diversify into other things, and one of those things was the toy industry, because they saw the opportunity of profit, profit margins and great profit from toys. They went out and never did anything by half. They bought a company in Canada, two companies in the US, one in France, Germany, Benelux, Spain, and two companies in the UK. But those companies, all of them, were autonomous. So what they did was they brought in a guy called Bernie Loomis to head up what was then the General Mills Toy Division and to go about looking for product. Now, Bernie was an interesting character. He finished his business studies on board the Death Star, and I don't think Lucasfilm knew what they were dealing with when they agreed to meet him in New York. First, Bernie always got his own way. To be honest with you, uh, you could see why if you ever met him. He was a big man, but he was also a very persuasive man, a very forceful man. And he met a guy called Mark Pevers in New York. And Mark said to him, we'll give you Star Wars, but you have to promise not to take $6 million man. I don't want you to have both categories, even though it's not ours. And Bernie looked at him and basically said, nobody tells me what product I'm going to buy. We're the only game in town. Take it or leave it. 
So George took it because we were the, at that time we were the only game in town. So that was the war. To get the product here, there were two other battles to win for Palatoy. Because going back, General Mills said every subsidiary has to have Star Wars. We don't want any licensing to third parties. Waddington's had, had got Monopoly, which was a prime product in the US from Parker Brothers, part of the group. Every subsidiary has to have the Star Wars line. So we thought, that's great. Except in the UK, there are two companies. There's us and there's Dennis Fisher. And we know that General Mills wanted to build up Dennis Fisher. So we thought, well, we have Action Man, which is really the key competitor of Star Wars. We're probably not going to get it. Fortunately, Bernie could see that Dennis Fisher was a single product company. They had Spirograph, they were into crafts. So he thought that was a better home for Six Million Dollar Man. And we got Star Wars. So that battle was won. The second battle was an internal one. Where do we put the line? Do we put it into retail sales? Or as the marketing director at the time thought, do we put it into wholesale? Because we wanted to position it away from Action Man. We didn't know what the potential was for Star Wars because we haven't really <coughs> seen anything yet. And we thought if we put it into there, it would probably be the safest place to for Action Man. The problem with that is that, quite frankly, you're then relying on wholesalers, sales guys, who are carrying hundreds of lines to carry the line for you. And as soon as they get any resistance, they just drop that and go to something else. Les decided that that's the way he wanted to go, and he presented this case very carefully to Bernie Loomis. Bernie Loomis looked at it and very carefully considered the two words of his reply, and it went into the retail side. And it's a really, those two things are really crucial. First, it came to us, and not Dennis Fisher, otherwise I'd be at home watching the All Blacks, and you'd be up in Leeds somewhere. <laughs> Second, it went into retail and not wholesale. And that comes very clear in a few minutes. So we had the line, we'd not seen anything, we had no product, we had a movie that was going to release, as far as the toy trade were concerned, at the worst possible time, after Christmas. And we had a trade that were basically saying to us, we don't take space toys, we don't want anything tied to a movie, and it'll be dead by the summer. So what do we do? So we moved from Colville all the way across the Midlands to Birmingham for MCM Birmingham, which was which took place back in November. It's the Imperial Troops Talk. So this was Kenneth Colley, Michael Pennington, Julian Glover and Michael Culver all speaking at the NEC. They did a proper talk all about their time as Imperials. It was absolutely fascinating. So have a listen and then we'll come back and talk about it after. Well, I can just describe anything that any actor will recognize. You climb a flight of rickety stairs sometime early in the morning to find a smelly little office. And there's one person in there who's never seen you before and who the hell you are, puts a camera on you and says, okay, go. It's horrendous. You walk away feeling much smaller than you walked into the room, at least I do, to think my work is gonna be seen on this level. That's auditioning for you, so if you're ever going to do it, take a drink beforehand. <laughs> we have a question from a lady here in the middle. What was the hardest part about embodying your character and why? Actually, the hardest part of embodying my character, and my main scene was a conversation with uh, Darth Vader, because I'm building the new Death Star and he's not satisfied with my progress. Now, as you probably know, 
Um, the dear David Pryor's blessing uh, normally played the part of Darth Vader, but of course none of his body was visible, and the part was revoiced on afterwards by James Earl Jones. I think that's common knowledge now. But the result of that was that Dave sometimes, not always, didn't entirely have the lines learned because he knew perfectly well they were going to be voiced over later on anyway. So I would be listening to him and taking in what he was saying, even though I couldn't understand anything he was saying because he was going and I would have to react. That's why there's quite a lot of overacting from me in that particular scene. Um, and it's, you know, I say this with great affection. I mean, that was a hard gig he had to do, and he did it beautifully. Um, but it was strange <laughs> to walk beside someone who had no human skin visible and was talking a kind of gobbledygook. I've got a least favorite scene, um, which is the contrary to your question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. These guys know all this, excuse me, fellas. Um, it got to the scene when I fight the Battle of Hoth, it seemed single-handed at the time. Um, I was in a, <laughs> a, a sort of, I was up on a gantry on the top of a crane uh, in a sort of um, a, a mock-up of a control panel. Behind me was a blue screen. I presumed I was driving something. So I was being shaken around like this with a blue screen behind me and I had to do the scene. But I had to speak a lot of rubbish stuff, which Michael's quite right, you don't know what it is, which is quite effective when you hear it, sort of technical jargon and all that stuff. And I got to um, a particular line, which wasn't, well, a particular line, which I dried stone dead on. I couldn't get the line right. I went 16 takes on it, 16 takes. Well, fortunately, our director was very tolerant. Uh, quite a lot of the crew weren't quite so tolerant. And I was, of course, like a puddle on the floor. I was so embarrassed. Having sp spoken all this rubbish stuff quite clearly and easily, it got to the line, this particular line, out. Now, I'm now going to tell you what the line was. Because um, I want you to concentrate on it and to understand my problem with the line. Ready? Target the main generator. <laughs> Sixteen takes. No, no different emphasis. He's just saying. No, 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 no emphasis at all because I get flying on it. <laughs> no emphasis in the least. So that was not a happy time. I had so much gobbledygook to speak that I didn't know if I was saying it backwards or forwards. Not that that would have made any difference to the meaning. And when the film was released, I walked into a friend and he said, Ken, I've just seen you in Empire Strikes Back. I liked it so much. It was so good when you were frightened of Darth Vader. And I said, I wasn't frightened of Darth Vader. I was frightened of the dialogue, but it worked. Well, I didn't have any trouble with the dialogue. I can't remember having any trouble with the dialogue, but I had a lot of trouble when he killed me. Because as I told you, the set was painted matte black, it was meant to be metal, and to actually fall to your knees and not make a mess of the paint was very, very difficult, and I think I did need to do it a couple of times, two or three times. No, not 16. 
I had to come down very, very gracefully onto my knees uh, and do it in a sort of staged descent. But I got there in the end. Come on, Julian, it makes you a record holder of some kind. 16 takes for that sentence. And we have a question from a young man here in the middle. What's it like knowing you were the villains? Were we the villains? I wasn't a villain. I wasn't a villain. <laughs> no. Just because we fought on the side you don't like, yeah. we were all career soldiers. Yes. Career officers, all, all doing people. our best. Yes. I will not hear a word about us being villains. <laughs> we are the Jedi. Cool to see those guys again and it's good to see pennington get out there and, and do his stuff because he hadn't done any conventions until the i think late summer early autumn he'd never done a convention and now he's, yeah, he's yeah. starting to get out there you were saying that on a previous episode and i, I genuinely had never appreciated that after yeah. all this time has only kind of like entered into the um the convention circuit now you know which is unheard of really yeah. for, for like any of the original trilogy guys and he's like a natural he was so easy and full of stories and he knew all the guy everyone was chit-chatting it was very easy it wasn't like he just dropped in out of nowhere it was like he'd been hanging out with these guys forever maybe he had they're all working actors so maybe he had but you know it was just cool to see so so imperial troops talked very very good go back to an earlier episode of making tracks we do live episodes sort of from shows the last episode our last episode featured gus lopez at farthest from doing his collector's talk Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Star Wars fan, Fanta Tracks fan. Another place that we got to in the Midlands was Redditch, where Carl and Paul and Claire all met up, went to Echo Base. Uh, here's the first bit of audio from Echo Base. This is with Kathy Munro. Hi everyone, um, it's Claire from Fanta Tracks here, and um, we're recording at the Kingfisher Shopping Centre in uh, Redditch. And today I'm at Echo Base. I have spent a fortune and I'm now sitting here with Kathy Monroe, uh, who was a bounty hunter in uh, one of the films. So, Kathy, do you want to tell us all about it? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I'd like to say it's been an absolute pleasure to be here today. It's a wonderful show. I've met some wonderful people, lovely fans. Um, well, getting back to Star Wars, I worked on Empire Strikes Back. I was actually at drama school at the time, asked to go along. Um, I wasn't sure what it was going to be, what I had to do, but they seemed very interested that that was the right height. And they said, are you claustrophobic? Well, I didn't know what that meant. So I said, oh, no, because I didn't know. And then they brought out the uh, headgear, and it was like a diver's, a diver's helmet, where it was actually placed onto my head and then turned, and there was no way I could take it off on my own. So I had a wardrobe lady assigned to me, so every time it got too much, we had a little code, I'd put my hand up and she'd immediately come over, sit me down on a chair and take the helmet off, you know, which gave me some relief. But um, yeah, so my character was Zookas, as, as you probably know, one of the bounty hunters. And then they asked me to stay on to play another part, which was um, um, Snaggletooth Work Kettle. And that was in the cloud city scene. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I met Carrie Fisher 
and uh, Harrison Ford and they were all there and that was just wonderful it was like a dream all the set was white and you know they just looked so she looked so fantastic so where was that through. filmed? that was all filmed at EMI and that was at Boreham Wood Elstree wow yeah so uh, and that we filmed that in 1979 but the film was released in 1980 so it so. took that long for it to be completed yes 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 so I mean I wasn't on the film for very long but I've got vivid memories you know I used to go for lunch with uh, Dave Prowse and he was telling me at the time all about the um, you know he did the um, the, the traffic you know the blue cross oh, green, co- green, green cross, cross green cold cross, man oh blue, yes, yeah. yes and he was really proud of that and I'm thinking well you know you're Darth Vader you I know, know that, yeah. if only he well he would know now he wouldn't yes, be about of course, but what it was just, I mean none of us really knew I mean I was only 18 going, it was guys? just a job it was a job for me and I was getting well paid and it was just wonderful you know going around the world and you know did did being in the Empire Strikes Back lead on to anything else for you um, well, as an actress not or really because at that time I was just about to get my equity card my full equity card right. which enabled me to work on television so basically I switched from films to television uh, okay. and uh, then I went straight into doing Doctor Who so wow. you can imagine coming from the Star Wars set which was a fantastic well built set I mean you know the lighting everything to the BBC White City set where all the set was wobbling oh yeah yeah and, I uh, remember hiding behind my sofa yeah. hiding yeah. but it was wobbling yeah so we, we, we there was one we were at Horns of Nemon we were like these planet people that were running away from this monster and it was endless corridors if you see it it looks like there's just endless corridors but it wasn't it was like a very small corridor and we had to stop and then they moved the cameras and then we're running down the same corridor again and this is how they did it but on screen it looked like brilliant like it was just a never ending yeah Yeah. so who was the doctor then oh that was uh, Tom Baker on that one yeah Yeah. yeah, that's my doctor yeah him and Peter Davison were my two doctors yes that's right but I mean I've got fantastic memories of it all I mean and I've just been very lucky I think yeah so uh, do you um, I know we're here with Bill who was also a bounty hunter yes yes. so do you kind of do the circuit together or yes we we tend to yes yes we, we've been to America earlier this year wow and that was brilliant and then we're off to Florida Pensacola in February my goodness yeah we just come back from Nuremberg we've just been with Bill and that was very uh, successful so it, it's it's yeah. nice to be able to go to see all these places yes, and, and meet all the fans as well that's right but I don't my husband's not been very well oh. and I've had problems with my family so I've cut it right back I don't yeah. do that many I mean yeah. I've only done three this year okay and, uh, so I'm quite selective with what I do. With what you know. do, do you yes. think next year you'll get to Chicago? or? Um, I'm not sure because I'm already going to America, so I don't uh, know whether it might be a bit much. You know. Yeah, yeah, that but, would be a shame. Well, I'll keep my eye out for you if yeah. you are there. That would be I have great. been on a holiday to Chicago and I loved it, so I would love to go back yeah. there again. And, and then I'll be in the Star Wars capacity. Yes. Uh, going back to when you were the bounty hunter, yeah. obviously not being able to see anything, or anything like that. But apart from that, yeah. what is your other memories of... Well, my costume, there was a cylinder, uh, not a lot of people know, that was on my chest, and they had, like, a tube. And in that, I had to blow it into that tube while in that mask. There was all um, a liquid, like coloured liquid in the cylinder, and I had to blow into it and get all the bubbles moving. So I had to do all that from inside. So not only were you acting it, you were being the puppeteer of it as yes, well. Yes, yes. 
and you know, and they didn't tell you that before you no, did that. No, they didn't tell any of it. Well, no, they didn't. And they kept saying at the end of it, they said, "We'd just like to say, Kathy, you're marvellous. You've not complained. Not like some of the men." Mar- <laughs> I felt like saying, "If only you heard what I was saying in that mask." <laughs> that was dumped. Oh, yes. <laughs> definitely. Oh, uh, oh the, there's no swearing in Star Wars oh, anymore. No, oh darling, no, not anymore. No, 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 no definitely no. not. No, it was a great, great opportunity, and I'm just grateful every day. I really am. It's well, been a privilege. Well, it's been a privilege talking to you, oh, and thank, thank you. you very much indeed. And um, yeah. hopefully, you'll listen out to us on our new podcast, Transatlantic Tracks, because we've got a lot of girls from across the pond, and we're all yes. doing it together. And we're Brilliant. looking out for women in Star Wars. Oh, and um, fly the flag. Fly the flag, and yeah. thank you very much indeed, oh, my Kathy. Pleasure. Thank Lovely you. Lovely to meet you. We managed to go, me, Claire and Carl were invited, very kindly invited by Sendler, the company that were putting on Star Wars A New Hope in concert going all around the UK. Kicked off at the Albert Hall. Uh, I've just had an article going on StarWars.com about this, where we were given a, a backstage tour of the Albert Hall and then we were invited to the, the rehearsals for the Novella Orchestra, and the Novella Orchestra with the orchestra that took it out on tour, did everywhere except for Dublin and the Albert Hall. Albert Hall was... Uh, London Symphony. We were very kindly allowed to be on stage as they were actually rehearsing to the film, which is so weird because if you're stood near the strings, you can only hear the, well, you can mostly hear the strings and not so much the horns. And when you stand on the other side, it's the opposite. It was just the weirdest thing, but, but very, very cool. We had the chance to talk to Jamie Hutchinson and Tom Taffinder. So Jamie's a violinist and leader of the orchestra. Tom is fifth. French horn, I believe. They just referred to him as horn, but I think, if I remember, he was French horn. They gave us 10 minutes of their valuable time before the show, and this is me chatting to them about music. Is it all right that there's people practising and stuff? I like the fact that there's okay. people practising. Okay. It, it gives it that... Um, as long as they know, they might be on... You, you've added the culture to our website that we've been missing okay. for so many years. <laughs> okay, great. I'm not sure about so, that. So, obvious question, obvious first question... Are you excited to be playing Star Wars? So excited. We've been excited for months, haven't we? Very excited, yeah, yeah. So how, how much practice goes in? How much prepared or preparation goes into something well, like this? Well, we saw the music the day before uh, the first concert. So, um, so actually, a lot of practice in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, obviously you guys are trained musicians. You can sight-read music, obviously. It's patronising to even ask that. But... Does it help having seen the film? Does it help having some knowledge of the film? Do you prefer that or would you like just going Definitely. in the cold? No, it's good. I actually um, watched the film on the train up to Manchester for the exactly. rehearsal day, yeah. watched it with my earphones in, thinking, oh, right, I can hear the violins in that bit. I better yeah. look at that when I get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite thing. easy for us, for us, because we get all the big, good tunes. Yeah. So you kind of know the tunes before you start. Yeah. And your ear helps. goes straight to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We go like, oh, oh, that bit sounds like, you know, might want to look at that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is a, a day in your life, or, or big day tonight, mm-hmm. gig on the evening, what's your day entail? So when we're on tour, we generally travel on the morning a little bit. Can be two hours, can be sort of five or six hours. Like last week we had that from Liverpool to Bournemouth. So that was quite a lot of travel that day. So then Dave's very considerate, our our conductor. He will do as much or as little rehearsal as as he can on the day to kind of help us. Um, And then we all get some dinner and then then the show. And then we travel home if we can. Sometimes we stay in hotels, depends where we are. So I guess you're all based all over the place, aren't you? We are, yeah. 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 A large proportion of the orchestra is London-based, but we have players in Cardiff, Manchester. Cardiff, Manchester, London, that's yeah, it's mostly, yeah. 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 And so on this tour, where have you played so far? 
we started off in Liverpool. Liverpool. We had a rehearsal in Manchester, so then went to Liverpool, then went yeah. to Bournemouth. Yeah. Then went to. Where were we yesterday? So you get to be like that. Oh, yeah. Manchester, uh, yesterday we were in Manchester. Yeah, Manchester. <laughs> and then after tonight, there's a little break whilst they go over to Ireland and do it with the RTE Orchestra. Yeah. And then we're back on it in Cardiff. Yeah. And then Leeds. Cardiff, then Leeds, Glasgow. Glasgow. And Glasgow will be a great place to finish because the audiences are always amazing yes. in Glasgow. Yes. Very, yeah. very, very supportive audiences. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. We had a good one last night in Manchester, yeah. actually. They were great. Yeah? Yeah. So I was going to say, that's a question. Do you know, then, when you've got a hot crowd, that they're really up for it? I mean, Birmingham will be too. Yeah. But do you know, do you feel it in the, in the room? Yeah. yeah. The crowd's really as soon as you come on stage. Last yeah. night um, in Manchester was really special. I mean, it was the biggest arena that we've done so far in yeah. the tour. Yeah. And we played the... Um, I don't know if this is spoiler alert, but we play the 20th Century Fox fanfare to, to open. <laughs> and at the end of that short snippet of 20 seconds, yeah. the crowd already went nuts. And we were like, yeah. OK, this is, yeah. this is a special audience. And then it just helps us give a little bit more energy as yeah. well, because yeah. we're like, oh, you're on our side. Brilliant. We'll give a bit extra. Yeah. Do, uh, well, here's a controversial question. It's obviously Disney now own Star Wars, mm-hmm. but the old, the old films have the Fox logo and the Fox music at the beginning. Yeah, Do yeah. you kind of like that? Because I know John Williams rescored it years ago. And so, you know, Williams did an arrangement of it and all that so oh it's great to play the yeah, century yeah. fanfare stuff yeah. yeah especially for the percussion yeah. starting the whole thing with that yeah, tight with drum rhythm it's amazing <laughs> but the, the previous film that this orchestra the novella orchestra toured with was beauty and the beast right so we opened with the disney yes. when you wish upon a yeah. star so yeah. we've we've done both we've got yeah. it covered yeah <laughs> everyone's happy yeah so of the tracks or the tunes or the music in this particular film yeah. which one because i guess it's different because you, you're coming at it from different angles which yeah. one's your favorite well, obviously the throne room M titles, yeah. obviously, yeah. but yeah. I have to say the first time that Princess Leia appears in R two D twos in R two D twos projection yeah. is a beautiful horn yeah. and Coron Glay theme, and the strings just sort of shimmering underneath, and it's the first time that you hear that amazing Leia theme, yes. and it's kind of a bit of a teaser of it because it's quiet and it's gentle and it's in the background, and yeah. kind of yeah. goes with the fact that she's a hologram, you know? Yes. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. for you. Probably the main main title theme because yeah. of course the horns get it. So um, and maybe as well the the Jedi theme. So yeah. every time that comes, um, Dan on first horn plays it beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's a real kind of hairs on the back of the neck. Hi, this is Gareth Edwards, director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage, called Rogue One. You're listening to Panther Tracks. Enjoy. And from a from a musician's point of view, is it challenging music to play? Is it is it yeah, How it is it very is. challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the strings it's probably just the amount of notes, yeah. isn't it? It's the sort of piece that makes you grateful that you have to practice your scales when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're growing up and going through your grades. It all comes back. There's a lot of, um, lot of scale work when it's fast and it's exciting, but there's also lots of beautiful moments as well where yeah. we just get to make a really lovely sound. And yeah. It's amazing. This is the biggest orchestra that we've toured with, is the Novello Orchestra as well, because right. John Williams' music requires a large... Yeah. Uh, amount of musicians mm. so it's really special it means we can make a really beautiful sound and, uh, yeah. from the brass player's point of view the, the hardest thing about it is that it's very tiring on your lip yeah yeah so especially if you have a if you have a rehearsal before you'll have heard right. today not all the brass players are playing all the time because yeah. they're sort of trying to rest it because when you get to okay. the gig it's just relentless it's physically especially tacky. the yeah especially the big big themes so is it, it sort of thing so you, loud you couldn't you could or could you i don't know but you couldn't Sounds, sounds like an awful question. Could you do a matinee performance, then an evening performance, then go somewhere and do yeah, it the next I mean, day? Or? On the first on the first day when we were in Liverpool. Liverpool, yeah. On the first day we 
we rehearsed it and we ran it through yeah. and then we played it again yeah. for the concert. So that was probably the, the hardest day brass-wise. Yeah. But uh, you've but just got to watch say, it. On that yeah. day, I suspect that the first performance was only at 70 or 80% yeah. effort. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people were saving. I think if yeah. you had two performances at 100% effort, that would be... Pretty hard. I was going to say the adrenaline when you're yeah. in the thick of it here in the middle of the, of the orchestra. Yeah. Can you feel when the, the you know, you feel like the foot's being put to the pedal? Yeah, so yeah. Can you feel it? Well, as soon as we start the performance, it'll be a completely different ball game to yeah. the rehearsal. Yeah. It'll be much louder and much more kind of intense. Than... And do you enjoy doing film to music? Because I assume oh, yeah. to a, to yeah. a re- okay. regular, you know, what you would normally do without the screen, it must feel different. Do you enjoy that? Yeah. Well, it's a lot more laid back, I think, because actually okay. the audience aren't necessarily staring at you on the stage. If you if you play in a you know a, a symphony orchestra, yeah, it feels like a lot more pressure. I don't know about you, Jane. You're at the front, aren't you? So it's a bit it, different. It varies. It varies. I mean, there are moments in this when you know that you're sort of centre stage yeah. and the titles mm. at either end and you know things like that. And especially some of the principal players have quite big solos. Right. And the difference with something like this is every single person in the audience knows exactly how it's supposed to sound. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if it's a obscure Stravinsky symphony or whatever, then yeah. then you can yeah, well you, you know yeah. it's you're wondering a bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows how it goes, so yeah. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and just a, just another question for yourselves personally, other than Star Wars, have you done other music? You mentioned Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to do? Maybe maybe something that's not there's, been done before. There's talk of Titanic, isn't there? Mm-hmm. The next Hopefully wow. next year, mm. Titanic for us. So that would be good to do. Yeah. Any yeah. of the big films, really. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to do another Star Wars. Yeah. Nice yeah, to carry on. There's a few to, few to get Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Gonna, <laughs> we'll be going on for years. I have to say, William's yeah. scores are amazing to do. It's always amazing, especially because there's quite a lot of William's scores that are from when I was really... Yeah young and yeah. when I was first getting into the violin and yeah. thinking about maybe wanting to do it as a job later yeah. on so things like Jurassic Park yeah. mm. just make the hair stand up on my well I see you hold that and I'm, think, I'm thinking Schindler's <laughs> List, I'm thinking the yeah. solo in Schindler's, Schindler's List, List. Yeah. yeah that's another one Raiders yeah yeah, yeah. Raiders, yeah, Raiders yeah, is yeah. awesome yeah. but we quite often play, there, there are little sort of seven minute suites of a lot yes. of these that we play in concert yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and it's I, nice to do the real thing the whole, yeah. whole, whole, whole way through isn't it it is, you get a totally highlights. different perspective because yeah. even the this this film, the yeah. sort of suite that I've done of it, you really only get the end titles, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. And I think of all the Star Wars films, I think this is the film with the least music. Yeah. So if, if you got to Empire Jedi and onwards, yeah. I know there's more music. Yeah, it'd yeah. be nice to play Darth Vader's theme a bit yeah. because we don't really do that. In no. This. No. Um, so so yeah, I don't know which one that comes in on. The second is it the next one? Is it? Yeah. yeah. And I quite like, is it the march of the, no, what's the one that's a march? Is it the Sith? There's, well, there's the Imperial there's March, re- which is Darth Vader's thing. Yeah, yeah, but there's from one of the, you know, the middle set of films. Oh, the prequels. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. There's some really cool Race music in those. Well. Race yeah, is Race beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so you've got plenty to choose from. He's working yeah. on his ninth film now, so. I know, yeah. I know. It's yeah. amazing. And, he, uh, he always creates something new and something yeah. really special. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is we've done films where there's musical underscore pretty much the whole way throughout. Yeah. And what's amazing in this is that there are patches of eight or nine minutes where there's no music yes. underscoring, yeah. but he makes the music even more memorable, even though there's less of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, everybody knows the Star Wars theme. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. I think he's unique in that respect in that there's certain sequences, especially in Return of the Jedi, the speederbike chase, there's no music in the speederbike chase. Yeah. The, yeah. the bar fight in Raiders, there's no music in the bar fight. So there's, no. he chooses his moments when to drop out. Exactly. Which must, yeah. must give you guys time to Less is yeah, more. Yeah. have a breather. Yeah. 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 It's always quite a relief, really, just to have a bit of a rest. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's brilliant. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Really no Thank problem. you. Back to the MCM Birmingham Comic Con. This is the Imperial Troops press conference. So this was the following day. This was the Sunday. This is me and Matt, Mr. Booker, sitting in a very small room. Didn't take very long. They didn't have very long because they were doing all these press conferences. They were climbing us in and out. So this is me and Matt listening to the four guests talking at the press conference. Very, very funny. Listen closely. You guys think the 501st Garrison? Well, they're always good, aren't they? Yeah. Because you're, you're very important. You, you make money for people. You do charity work and appear all over the place. And I think it's most excellent. And uh, all the guys I've met in the 501st have been, and ladies, have been ladies and gentlemen, really nice people. So I thank them for that. What's the 501st? It's the, the, the um, how would you describe it? It's you're a bit like uh, malaria. You're all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, Everywhere yes, I've been, I think you're more fun than malaria. Yeah, but you see more and of I'm, uh, I'm, I've been injected. I'm a, all right. Oh, yeah. That was excellent. We wanted to keep going. They, they, they did with booze, <laughs> making friends. Ken, I heard a wonderful rumour years ago, and you may know if this is true or not, that George Lucas liked your character so much that even though you got taken out by an A-wing in Return of the Jedi, that he thought, his headcanon, was that you survived? Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Never in my life. <laughs> Whoa. No, I'm, I was only in, uh, as written in Empire, but he said there was a sort of fan response to the character, so he said, do you want to be in the next one? I've no idea what you're going to do. Mm. Come back. And I said, okay, yes. You know, does Dolly Parton sleep on her back? <laughs> <laughs> and I did, and I sat there whilst they rehearsed Jabba the Hutt, and he wrote a scene. And there you are, Ken. Another one next week. I've no idea what it's going to be. Was there a lot of um, rewriting of scripting as it went along? The movies, um, you always do fifth rewrite that's been shoved under your door at midnight the that's night it. before when you were asleep and you wake up to, I'm not doing the scene I learned, I'm doing this bloody thing. And then you start work and it's rewritten again. Yes. That's the, bre that's the breakfast version, isn't yeah. it? Breakfast and then they cut version. it in the edit. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're just left raising an eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> Which may well be much better. That's, <laughs> that's, that's some movies. Movies. Have you found that in all the films and TV you've all worked yeah. on then? Uh, almost exclusively. But I go yeah. right back to the, the time of studio TV back in the yeah. 70s and so on, when actually it was more like the theatre because you rehearsed for three weeks yeah. Yeah. in outside. And then you went in for this crucial three hours when the yeah. lines were open and all the rest it of it, and you gave you had one shot at everything. You miss light and if you made a mistake, you had to go back and you get the back entire and get scene on. again, yeah. not just a bit because it was no, on electronic tape. That's right. Yeah. Very Except the, to the floor manager um, had a, a, a cable Sorry, with I like an old bell push on it, yeah. and if you dried up, he would push he would push that, oh, yeah. and that would deaden the sound, giving time to give a prompt to the actor. Right. If you didn't take it properly, then exactly as they describe, you'd have to start again. It's also quite, was not unusual in that, that sort of circumstance when an actor would dry, that he would spontaneously burst out with what should we call an expletive, yeah. which of course is not so good on the finished show, if he's playing the king or something like that. And I suspect that the, the floor manager would have had the same, he would have seen it coming as the guy went, 
<laughs> so you just hear a guy going, <laughs> so there's all sorts of tricks. But I, you know, I wouldn't say we need to go back to that stuff because cinematography oh, no. was nothing like as good as it is now. Nice. Cameras got the shot, the cable switched across the floor and all the rest I of it. I can remember live television. Yeah. You did it live. Originally. So this is all live, yes. It was, uh, that, yeah. was, uh, that was a training. Was it a better challenge for you then to do live than it is to do then? I never did live, but I did, I did that kind of recording, yeah. which is almost the same thing. Yeah. But was it, it, was it just frightening, live? What was it? What? No, well, was well it for right? me, well, because I was new to the medium, it was frightening anyway, so it was just the same. Mm. Mm. Um, I had no awareness of how much more it could be. Now, when I went back, they brought it back briefly, and I agreed to do one, and then I knew what fear was. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> because not I, the Doctor Who one. Idiot who no, no. Back. Um, a series one. of the Piers Haggard did the first one that I was in. A half hour about what was taken from that day's newspaper. Oh, crap. yes, that's right. And so the writers, three of them, really sat in current. a room and handed you the scenes as they occurred to them. Mm. And between nine o'clock and ten that evening, you went on doing it. So it was called Eleventh yeah. Hour. It was a series called Eleventh Hour. Yeah. Then I knew what fear was. And this morning, it's coming back. Faith. <laughs> the filming as it's done now can be quite reassuring in a way. Obviously, you know, you, you sit around for an awful lot of times, lottery rights, as Ken says. But on the other hand, if you shoot the same scene from 20 different angles, mm you're pretty sure that the editor's going to get something that's good. So you, you don't worry so much when you go home and think, did I do that all right? Because you think, well, I did it 20 times. One of them must have been yes. okay, surely. So I, I, it's much, in a way, it's much more satisfying. The problem is you don't, it's not in your control. That's what you're waiting for, though, isn't it? You're the kind who watch for the glitch, <laughs> Back in Birmingham, at the Arena Birmingham, after we spoke to Tame, Jamie and Tom about their music and, and all the stuff that they were doing for the orchestra, we had a chance to speak to the conductor, David Mahoney. Now, he put together the Novello Orchestra. He very kindly, and I can't stress enough how busy these people were, so to give us time was very, very cool. He gave us 11 minutes, I counted it all, 11 minutes of his time. We talked about his love of Star Wars, his work with the orchestra, all sorts of stuff. This is me and David Mahoney, and this is us talking about the music. So it's gig night. Indeed. So what what is your day composed of? There's a word for a musician. Composed of. I what, like what you've done there. Thank you. What, what, what would you be doing to get ready for this, the big moment? So we're sort of halfway through our UK arena tour. Yeah. So my a typical day would uh, involve waking up on a tour bus, which isn't quite as glamorous <laughs> as you may think. Um, uh, but usually, yeah, waking up at around sort of eight-ish as the rest of the crew get into the state uh, into the arena to yeah. do the setup uh, and then I casually make my way uh, into my dressing room and do all the usual things and just shower and get myself settled uh, and then once all the hard work's done by the crew to get all yes. this up which obviously as you as you can imagine is quite quite a thing yeah. um, we usually get to the stage about three o'clock yeah. three or four o'clock um, to do a good solid sound check yeah um, thankfully by now as we're into the run, the, there's not so much rehearsing to do because yes. the musicians, in theory, um, know what they're doing by now. But uh, there's certainly there's a lot of work to do just because all the venues are very different. Exactly, yeah. Acoustically, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of size, and the setup can be slightly different. So it's really important that we do a really thorough sound check for the, for the sound team yeah. and just get settled and just get in the zone. Because a couple of thousand people in this room is going to suck up a lot of sound, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So I think 
what the sound team do is just kind of cater for that during the soundtrack. Yeah. So they set all their levels on the basis that, yeah, 4,000 people suddenly just deadens a room, yeah. which is quite, I mean, it's a real challenge actually with, um, obviously orchestras aren't used to no. performing in arenas necessarily. Sure, yeah. we're, you know, we're usually in a, in a concert hall, yeah. uh, which is specifically designed for those kind of orchestral acoustics. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an added challenge in, in that respect, yeah. especially then when we're, uh, kind of c- not competing but we have to sort of deal with obviously all the sounds that come from the film wow well. I was going to ask you that normally when you're, when you're doing what you do it, at a concert hall there's no laser blasts and starships flying over your head absolutely that's an added is it a distraction is it, does it complement it I think does it's it... something that you, we just have to get used to yeah. it's, a, it's quite challenging certainly yeah. at first but I think we've certainly with this orchestra and myself we're used to touring with films sure. and we're kind of used to kind of having that added element if you like yeah. but there's certainly I mean there's a there's a two or three occasions in this film where the kind of sub bass sound uh, some of the sound effects of the of the, of the, the starship and yeah. everything um, are, are so big yeah. that literally your whole body just rumbles and you can just feel it going <laughs> through the stage and sort of seeing violent it's like this it's quite entertaining actually yeah um but uh yeah i mean it's an added challenge and i think that's it's something that the sound team have to be aware of yeah. and i always feed back then to them just to, to tell them how it is from venue to venue so yeah. they can kind of cater for it but i mean i think it's quite exciting and yeah. it adds to the kind of the drama and the kind of the, the general effect and making it more of an event Hello, I'm Warwick Davis, and you're listening to Tracks. Does it feel a bit, not looser, because, you, because as we said to the guys earlier, everybody knows the music, so you yeah. can't be loose in that sense, sure. but there's, there's a sense when I'm watching an orchestra, especially play with music like this, that there's moments when you put your foot to the pedal. There's yeah. moments when you're back, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That, well, we have to be really accurate yeah. with this, obviously, because although, I mean, previous tours we've done a lot of sort of musical films yeah. as in musicals uh, where there's been vocals and singing yeah so uh, this we don't have that element with this obviously but the way the score's written is that there are obviously big climaxes at very yes. specific moments on the screen so yeah. if we've been doing uh, playing for sort of a 10 minute battle scene and if we don't hit that last explosion on the right downbeat then it's not as effective so um, I think the it's about being very accurate and even if we're sort of competing with um, uh, with, with the extra sounds and the yeah. additional sounds yeah. and obviously it's not just the, the sounds coming from the film but the crowds yes. we've noticed I mean they really go for it which yeah. I love yeah. um, so you'll have cheering throughout you'll have laughter you'll have uh, you know they're, they're really up for it and it's just kind of that an ad- added element which in theory should make it more difficult for us but what it actually does is just raises the orchestra yeah, yeah, because yeah. they get an extra buzz a bit of excitement and I think for us it's kind of as rock and roll as we can get well, you know, doing say, an arena show like you're this you're on a tour bus you're in a different venue every night Yeah, it is a bit rock and roll isn't it, it? I mean it really is and especially with the Star Wars fans I mean they're really I mean they're on side from yeah. from the very like the, from first, the, Fox. the first downbeat the Fo- yeah. 20th century yeah. Fox yeah. theme I mean last night we were in Manchester and they went wild after that I thought should we just finish there? <laughs> but no, we did go. And by the end, they were on their feet. And uh, it, it's such... It makes everything yeah. worthwhile. And you can just... When I look out at the orchestra and, and see their reaction to the audience's reaction, yes. uh, it because, just makes me realise... you're seeing them ride at close quarters and... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and... I don't see the audience. I just, but you can just. It's weird. It's a weird thing to say, but you can feel them. Oh, no. You really can. Um, yeah. You can just sense that they're right there. Um, and it's just, it's just 
exhilarating, I think is the only word I can use yeah. to, to describe it. And when you've got such incredible music to be performing yeah. as well, it's just, uh, it's a real honour. I was going to say, are you a fan of the films and... and in it, on extension, obviously, a fan of the Absolutely, music. Absolutely, yeah. I've, I've always, I've grown up, obviously, with the films, like we all have, yeah. and um, I think uh, it's really interesting to you watch the film in, in a new way. Obviously, yes. when I was preparing for this tour, um, I get sent all the materials uh, with with the with the scores, and you start analysing the music yeah. uh, in relation to the film. Yeah, and it makes you look at the film in a different way too, uh, and seeing just actually quite how clever it is I know everyone knows the iconic themes and they can all sing them uh, and you'll recognise all those big moments but actually there's I think a lot of the how clever it is yeah. is in some of the bits which you might not necessarily react to emotionally yeah. but actually academically and musically it's it's really clever yeah. he's he's there's a reason why john williams is who he is yeah know? and he seeds a lot of stuff doesn't he obviously in later episodes things come back in play and, and all the different themes that come back yeah. in various ways yeah. um and the reasons why they do that yeah. based on the action on screen it's um it's very clever it really does it is. make you realize not that you wouldn't know this already but how how difficult it must be and it's a two-part question how difficult it must be to write music for film and make it fit what's on that screen um, and then to be you and those guys making Trying it work to again. make that work yeah, yeah. it's um because i've heard various stories weirdly two of my players their fathers were in the original orchestra that recorded the soundtrack which, which amazes me so i've had a wow. few chats with them and, and uh, they were telling me how how it worked back yeah. in the day in the studio yeah, yeah. and they uh, without getting too technical these days when you record a soundtrack um, you record along to a click track yeah. which basically means you can prepare everything before the sessions yeah. and then ensure that you play at the exact right yeah. moment yeah. Um, now back when this was recorded that didn't really exist no. they didn't really use it much so a lot of um, they were just doing it and just trying to hit certain moments at yeah. certain times yeah. But what it means is, so for us to sync, we actually play along to a click track. Yeah. I have a click in, in my ear to make sure, and it kind of relates to a little screen that I have in front of yeah. me that gives me direct sort of moments. Yeah. Um, but what's actually happened in the preparation of this uh, material is that they've created that click track, which obviously didn't exist initially. Right. So yeah, it means yeah. it, it, they, they can be quite accurate, but there are certain moments where it doesn't quite do what you think it's going to do, yeah. and that's an, an added element to us. So we're kind of we're still learning those corners. I was going to say, as, is that something you just have to know it? Just you just have to, have to do. Yeah, it's repetition, yeah. Yeah. basically. Um, yeah. Some bits, they're, they're, it's they're so odd that um, there are no clues in the music, and then you just have to know what that feels like. I was going to say because like. not everything finishes clean because it's a film. It's edit, move on to the next moment. So absolutely. Yeah. So you, it just has to be kind of in your bones, yeah, really, yeah. and that's why yeah. it takes quite a bit of time to sort of prepare it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just so exciting, <laughs> and it's just that I love that. It's so it's, for me. It's such much more of a thrill than just sort of conducting yeah. a normal orchestral yeah, yeah. concert. And actually, what's interesting is obviously all these players know this music inside out because they've done sort of the, the, the big famous moments in all your different concerts over the country with different orchestras yeah, yeah. but what's yeah, interesting is obviously the the speeds of, the, of those melodies yeah. are very different when you're doing it to here yeah. um, uh, so a lot of that as a general rule a lot of it's much faster yeah. than it would be if you had the, the ability to do it without a click track yeah. does that make sense yeah, yeah. Um, so they can't there's no moment where the orchestra can have sort of 
a rest and just think, oh, this this will just play itself. Yeah. They, the focus has to be there from the very first second right to the very last chord, you yeah. know. Um, but I think that's it's good in a way yeah. because it means we can never, even though we we're doing this show eight times around the UK, which in, with other films it can get a bit repetitive. Sure. But you can never relax. No. You know, you've got to be on it and focus, which I think it makes it more exciting for us. Yeah. My name is Ingrid Gaila. I play Princess Leia in Rogue One, and you're listening to Fan for Tracks. And obviously, Williams uh, saying to the guys earlier, the music for Star Wars, the original Star Wars, it's, I think it was the shortest piece that he wrote it's got right. the least music and that yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously Empire and Jedi and, and on and on have got more and more and more would you and it's not meant to be a leading question it's <laughs> just meant to be a question as, as a professional would that be a challenge an interesting challenge oh, not not necessarily even a Star Wars film just another film with a lot more music now you've got the rhythm of, of you absolutely know. no it's it's something that myself and the Novello Orchestra have we want to specialise in and we have done over the last couple of years a film with live orchestra experience Uh, I think we've kind of yeah got a bit of a knack for it now and we know what to expect and we know how to to deal with it and in terms of the the players that we choose you know there are certain players who lend themselves better to this kind of music and this kind of event uh, than others maybe Um, and so we kind of very careful about who we pick uh, to to play Um, so it's I mean in terms of I would love to do the whole series if I'm honest Um, you know we're starting with not episode one but the first film that was made Um, so we'll see how that progresses I I certainly think I hope that there's there'll be an audience for it the interest is definitely I'm waving at my colleague the interest is definitely there I mean you're going to have fantasies. <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a beautiful room. I've not been in here with it broken down like yeah, this. So it's just yeah. a beautiful venue. So. It's, um, the height on it is quite yeah. overwhelming. But um, if it's anything like last night, um, we're in for a real event. Super. Yeah, That's brilliant. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you. Pleasure. And you. Thank you. The final audio we have is back at Echo Base. And this is with the one and only Gary Hagen. So, Gary... Nice to see you. Thank you. What was it like, 20 years after the original release of Star Wars, to finally, finally get more more airtime in Star Wars? Well, all it did for me, I got to the premiere of the 1998, um, and and also it was good to see myself with a head of hair. <laughs> I had no helmet on. When <laughs> As somebody follically challenged myself, I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you look back, it was nice because it it actually, you know, filled in the character a little bit. It, it made you understand a little bit more why Mark uh, is so upset when I actually go down in flames. Absolutely, absolutely. Because yeah. that never really did make that much sense when we saw no. it the first time in 77. Obviously a lot of the fans knew about the scenes of you 2 uh, on Tatooine that still haven't made it into the film, but you never know one day. Well, uh, I'm not then, sure, but it's but there, the ex- everybody... It, but why the X-Wing fighter, that was important to see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's a nice... Well, it's just nice to, to meet the, the folks on Tatooine, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid... We all miss it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the fans, of course, come up and say they wish it was back in there, you know. But no, I don't think it'll be put back, but it's there. People who want to find it can. They can find it, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, you're one of the, the first people to look so classy with a cape as well in the Star Wars side. I know, I, It's such I a always, uniform. I, I treasure that, <laughs> that costume because uh, it turned into a very nice romantic type of... 
figure. Absolutely. The action yeah. figure is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Which, I mean, that came out probably 1995, 96. Oh, yeah, almost later than that. I remember yeah. when yeah. it came out at Celebration, one of the celebrations. Yeah. And the cape will fly in the wind if you take it out of the box. <laughs> and I take it you've got one? I've got one or two. <laughs> yeah. Or two. <laughs> and uh, what, was the, what were your fondest memories of working on Star Wars? Well, I think the fact of working actually in the scene in Tunisia with Mark and with the others just because it was so much fun and it was a kind of a new adventure. We had no idea of what we were going in, in for. And uh, that kind of a week started off a, a, a friendship with Tony and, and Mark and to a certain extent uh, Carrie. Not, and you know, so yeah, it was a very nice time. So it's been nice over the years to catch up with them at conventions. Yes, it has. Yeah. And we're still, those of us who are still around, God bless the rest. Yeah. Um, you know, we still enjoy it. Look at I have to sit beside Mike for heaven's sake. I know. He's a character. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very Thank much. You very Thank much. you very much. I'm never sure. Is it Garrick Hagen or Garrick Hagen? You know, I'm never sure which one it is. I always call him Garrick Hagen. Like the ice cream? Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. I yeah. mean, I mean, doesn't everybody pronounce it that way? Uh, I, I, I sometimes say Hagen, <laughs> not Hagen. Put the emphasis Hagen. on the A as in the R. Hagen. Yeah. Uh, but, but then it could be Garrick, couldn't it? So let's not be too clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Booker's alive! Be gone with him! So that was episode 15 of Making Tracks. We've not really had a chance to talk very much this episode, Dave, but I promise on the next episode, there's loads of chance for you and me to talk. Are we going to talk about all the stuff we've seen in 2018, all the stuff we thought was good? We can just sort of vaguely allude to the stuff that we thought was crap, and then we can look forward to 2019. I think 2019 <laughs> is going to be rather busy, don't you? Well, I'd say it's been pretty busy this year, but I've been sat here for four weeks, and then you just fill it all up with like awesome content. I mean... Thanks, man. I would take the blame, but drones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, drone, drones and uh, like lots of uh, awesome interviews. No, that's that's cool. I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I, we need to do like a 2018 in retrospect. I'll write on a post-it somewhere. Do it. Post it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'll post it. <laughs> yeah, and then post it. Yeah, so I don't forget. Yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah. So if people want to find you, Dave, bear in mind it's nearly Christmas and people have toys to buy. Where can they find you? You have a few days left to the big Christmas day, but I run a small toy shop called All the Cool Stuff. And it's on the edge of the new forest in Hampshire uh, and you can find us at all the cool stuff or you can find us online or alternatively you can find us at one of the very many Fanta tracks related projects and things like that that we've got going on so outside of the main site I say this every episode I've done anything for ages and I feel terrible although I am actually working on something for uh, Christmas Eve Woo-hoo! cool Fanta <laughs> uh, tracks TV on YouTube which is uh, taken care of by Martin Keeler if you don't like or subscribe please subscribe to our channel and also on all our other social media platforms including Instagram and Facebook uh, run by the handy Matt Booker uh, as well as uh, for, you know for Following us on the main site as well but mark if people were trying to hunt you down and find you where can they <coughs> find you virtually 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 and almost literally 
they can find me on Twitter at Prefect underscore Timing. But you can find me on Fantatracks at Fantatracks everywhere, generally on the Twitter handle. So if it's got MN after it, it's usually me. I just hope nobody else realises that's my little signature and then writes naughty stuff and puts my name after it because I'll get into trouble. But but I don't want to give anybody any ideas, so I might edit that out. But uh, other than that... <laughs> I was going to say, Brian will be on to you. But like... Oh, he already is. I know he's, on, he's been on to me for ages. Just generally tootling around in the back end of the site and doing stuff that I probably shouldn't. Uh, but it's all good. It's all good. And already looking forward to the next episode, Dave, when we can talk properly and talk actually about Star Wars as opposed to me coughing and hopelessly trying to mute the microphone. <laughs> that would be ace and I'm looking forward to it already. So we'll see you in the next episode, Dave. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, check everything out on Fantatracks. Go and see the website. Listen to all the previous podcasts. Give us five-star reviews on iTunes, whatever people do these days. What's the new thing, Dave? What's the new social media thing that we should be doing that we're not? I am the least techie person to be asking this question too um, I've only just worked out that this uh, Skype monarchy so um, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not the, 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 the best person to, to talk on that uh, maybe I'll ask some of the kids that come into the shop tomorrow that's a good idea we'll see you next time Dave Hello. <laughs>